grab a Bible and let's turn to John chapter 21. As you're turning there, I'd like to uh, just thank all the brothers who uh, led out in, in uh, holding the men's retreat uh, this weekend. And Andy, thanks for leading that team uh, for us. I, I think it was a very edifying time together. Um, the messages and the testimonies were so helpful for the brothers as we addressed the fear of man um, and finding our security in Christ. And I trust the Lord's going to bring much fruit uh, from this weekend. Uh, for those of you who weren't able to make it, uh, the audio will be up sometime in the near future, so you'll be able to hear those, the messages that were given. I'll have to listen to one myself. I, I was out for Ben's, so I'm looking forward to the audio. Anyway, so be watching for that online, but, but thanks for all who, who led that. All right, let's look at John chapter 21 today, and we're pretty much going to cover the whole thing except for just a little bit, we'll say, for next week. Um, But the bulk of this chapter hangs together as one unit, so we're going to look at it, uh, look at most of it today. To this point in the gospel, of course, Christ has died for our sins. He was buried. On the third day, He rose, and He appeared to the disciples once when Thomas was absent. Then he appeared to the disciples again when Thomas was present. And today we find Jesus appearing to the group of disciples a third time while they're out fishing. And several things come together about loving Jesus and feeding his people at all costs. So let's pick it up in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time 
that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I'd like us to pray for a minute. Well, Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to come before your word. We are amazed uh, by your kindness as we see it here demonstrated to, to Peter, uh, the mercy you, you showed to him after his denials. And we are reminded of the kindness that you have shown us all, the mercy that, that, that flows from your wounds that you endured on our behalf. And we're thankful that you are now risen from the dead and that you ever live to provide for us. And I pray that even right now you would provide for us as we meditate on these words the next few minutes. Open our hearts wide to receive the good food of your self-revelation in the written word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So by way of introduction, I'd like to make three observations that prepare us to understand this passage. You know, not all of us have heard every sermon from John's gospel over the past two and a half years, and uh, even fewer may remember some of the storyline between Jesus and Peter. And so my hope is that these initial observations will get us all on the same page and help you grasp the bigger picture of what's going on and then help you connect what's going on in this passage to your own, life, to your own walk with Christ. And then following those three observations, we're going to look at five truths about loving Jesus and feeding his people at all costs. But first, let's look at the three initial observations. Observation number one. The existing storyline between Jesus and Peter begs for completion. The existing storyline between Jesus and Peter, it begs for completion. This, this storyline began back in chapter 1, verse 42, uh, where we see Jesus calling Simon, the son of John, and giving Simon a new name. In Aramaic, it's Cephas. In Greek, it's Peter. And, and both of them mean the rock. Well, it was Jesus' way of saying that he would give Peter a foundational role in establishing the church, not because of who he was, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus will make Peter to be with the other apostles. 
And from that point on, we see Peter largely staying by Jesus' side. Even when hundreds of other disciples eventually walk away from Jesus because Jesus' teachings are are so offensive, it's Peter who who stays by Jesus' side and he then leads the other uh, twelve to confess, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you are the Holy One of God. But as the story continues, it becomes more and more apparent that Peter doesn't understand everything about Jesus He didn't understand why Jesus washed his feet like a slave. But but Jesus told Peter that he would understand later on, afterward. Peter didn't understand why he lacked the ability to follow Jesus to death. But Jesus promised Peter that he would follow eventually, afterward. And sure enough, Jesus is right. Even though Peter promises to die for Jesus... Even though Peter takes up a sword against Jesus' enemies, Peter cannot follow Jesus when it comes to the cross. Instead, we find Peter standing by a charcoal fire with Jesus' enemies instead. Peter warms himself by the fire while Jesus suffers for Peter. And then Peter slowly caves in to the fear of man, and he denies knowing Jesus at all three times over. Some rock Peter is. Will he really play a foundational role in the church as Jesus seemed to indicate? Will he really understand what's going on afterward as Jesus said he would? Will Peter really be enabled to follow Jesus afterward as Jesus promised he would? The storyline begs for completion. There are loose ends in this relationship that need to be tied up, and chapter 21 serves that end. It it completes the storyline. Peter had walked away from Jesus for a charcoal fire in Jesus' greatest moment of suffering, but now Jesus has prepared another charcoal fire to remind Peter of his betrayal and to show Peter the extent of Jesus' love. Peter deserved nothing from his master except punishment. But Jesus here, he asks Peter to join him for breakfast, having already borne Peter's punishment on the cross. Peter denied Jesus three times over, but now Jesus three times over asks Peter to confess his love for Christ. Peter didn't live up to his name, The Rock, but now Jesus he seems to be entrusting Peter with building the church's foundation. Peter couldn't follow Jesus to the cross, but now Jesus indicates that, that Peter will follow him even when it will cost him his own life this time. You see, everything Peter had needed before but did not have Jesus had now purchased for him on the cross and was now giving giving it to Peter freely to use for God's glory. This is how the storyline ends. Or should we say better, begins for Peter and the rest of the disciples. But how so? How could Jesus simply restore and commission Peter so readily 
and with such confidence after so much sin on Peter's part. Well, Jesus could do so because discipleship begins not with who we are, but because of who Jesus is for us. Discipleship begins not with who we are, but who Jesus is for us. He is our all-providing Savior. We've already witnessed that in the cross, and we're about to witness it again in this narrative here with, in verses 1 to 14, which leads to, to another observation, observation number two. Jesus' revelation, His self-revelation, who He is for you and me. Jesus' self-revelation in verses 1 to 14 becomes the basis for Peter's commission in verses 15 to 23. His self-revelation becomes the basis for Peter's commission. So here I'm showing you how the parts of this passage fit together, how, how, how they are a whole. We should understand the miraculous catch of fish in light of what Jesus says to Peter afterwards. And we should understand what, Peter says, what Jesus says to Peter afterwards as being built on and standing on what Jesus shows of himself in verses 1 to 14. It, it, this is another one of those acted out signs that Jesus does that, that, that's, that's then followed by an interpretation. We get several of these in John's gospel, a particular sign then followed by the interpretation. And so, so also here, who Jesus is for the disciples provides the basis for his instructions. Jesus provides a miraculous catch of fish to reveal who he is for them. And then based on who he is for them, Jesus, is, Jesus teaches his disciples how they should be about their mission they should be about their mission by serving and feeding Jesus' sheep. Why? Because Jesus continues to serve and feed His sheep, the disciples. This gets fleshed out particularly in Jesus' relationship with Peter and serves as the occasion in which Peter is publicly restored and then commissioned by Jesus as one who plays a foundational role in establishing the church. And that leads me to make one more observation before diving into our five truths here. And it may be the most important in terms of bringing, bridging this, this passage and bringing it home for, for everybody in your own Christian walk. So observation number three, this passage applies to pastors especially, but has implications for all of Jesus' sheep. It applies to pastors especially, but has implications for all of Jesus' sheep. Uh, three times, Jesus commissions Peter with specific charges relating to uh, shepherding or, or leading the church. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's talking about Peter leading his people, leading, leading the church. And, and of course, the book of Acts and Galatians and even one of Peter's own letters uh, all indicate that Peter served as an apostle and also an elder or pastor in the Jerusalem church. He was a pastor, and, and Jesus' words are especially fitting for his pastoral role. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. But don't let that mean, and don't ever let that mean, that such instructions aren't important for you. Not only do you need discernment when recognizing and appointing particular men to be your elders, you want, how do you know whether your elders love you or not? They feed you. 
Christ. They tend to the care of the sheep. Not only do you need discernment when recognizing and appointing particular men to be your elders, but numerous places in the New Testament tell us to imitate our leaders insofar as they imitate Christ. And that means passages like this one and the entire book of uh, books of like 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. They're not just written for pastors. They speak to all of us. These words aren't merely to show leaders like Peter how to disciple others. They have many things to say about discipleship, period. And more than that, they reveal our Savior to us. Even if Jesus is doing something unique for Peter as his apostle, we get to witness more of who our Savior is and what he's like and, and how he treats all his disciples, not just Peter. So, having made our three observations, let's look now at five truths playing out in this passage about loving Jesus and feeding his people at all costs. First, Jesus' provision climaxes in the cross, but it doesn't end there. Jesus' provision, it, it climaxes in the cross, but it doesn't end there. You know, running through John's gospel is this theme of Jesus as the all-providing Savior. I mean, you can just trace the entire narrative and at every turn Jesus provides wine in Cana he provides living water in Samaria he provides the bread at the Sea of Galilee Uh, he provides the truth for the deceived he provides the life for Lazarus at every turn Jesus Jesus is making the provision that we so desperately need and of course as the gospel continues these little snippets of Jesus' provision along the way they actually set us up for the greatest provision of all in the cross cross itself. The cross brings the the satisfaction of God's wrath against sinners. It it brings the freedom from our sins. It it, it brings the the reconciliation we need with God, eternal life itself and, and even deliverance from the strongholds of the devil. All of this happens in the cross. What more could we ask for than than what God has given us in the cross of Christ? And yet now we see Jesus risen from the dead, appearing to the disciples who've caught nothing all night and saying, you know, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Why? He's given them everything already. Why provide even more here? Well, it's to reveal more of the kind of Savior He is. His provision for the disciples, while it does climax at the cross, it doesn't stop at the cross. In other words, the cross isn't a dead end to Jesus' provision for His disciples. Why isn't the cross a dead end? Because He's alive, right? He's risen to keep giving His disciples more and more and more. He forever lives to keep providing for them, to keep surprising them with extravagant love, to keep amazing them with his kindness. In fact, notice how the disciples actually come to realize that it's Jesus in our, in our passage. It's not that they knew it was Jesus before they cast the net on the right side. The, the text says they didn't know that it was Jesus on the shore. But regardless of what they knew or not, true shepherd, true sheep, Obey when the shepherd speaks. 
So they toss the net on the right side and haul in a massive catch. And it's then and only then that John says, it's the Lord. Jesus is revealed. In other words, it's characteristic of who Jesus is. It's what he's like. It's how he's always revealed himself before to the disciples. He's their provider, now providing for them also in his resurrection life. And he's still your provider too in his resurrection life. Sometimes we miss this, don't we? Don't get me wrong. The cross remains the decisive event we we look to for the greatest provision of God's love. Never do we need to question God's love for us because the cross stands as the unchanging, objective demonstration of God's love for us. We, we should be absolutely stunned when we look at God's provision in the cross, but never should we think that God's provision stopped there. As if to say He's now in heaven minding His own business and we must continue to do things on our own. No, the resurrected Christ stands as your constant provider. He remains the living water when you are thirsty. He remains the bread when you are hungry. He is the life when you are dead. He is the light when you suffer darkness. He feeds His disciples. He knows where they are, what they're doing, and what they need, and He gives them Himself. This is why Jesus taught them earlier, apart from Me, you can do nothing. His provision here matches His teaching elsewhere that our constant dependence must be on Him now. Why? Because He's risen and and willing and able and glad to provide for His saints. He ever lives to provide for us. How does Paul put it in Romans 8? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, and He means on the cross to die, how will He not also with Jesus now risen from the dead, how will He not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? Jesus' provision climaxes in the cross, but it doesn't end there. Second, discipleship is most simply a matter of loving Jesus. Discipleship is most simply a matter of loving Jesus. We see this love first come out in Peter's response in verse 7? It's great, isn't it? Like, I mean, he had, the, he had the idea to go fishing to begin with. Jesus shows up, they haul in a, matches, a, 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 a massive catch, and he's like, check you later, hops out and run into the shore. <laughs> you guys can haul it in. I'm going to see Jesus. It's a picture of Peter's love, his affection for Jesus. He's grown to cherish Christ above everything. But Jesus then ensures that Peter's love has roots that go down deep in Christ himself and not deep in self or what he thinks of, what he perceives Christ to be as he did earlier. He Jesus wants Peter's love going deep here in the person of Christ himself. And so verse 15, after they finish breakfast, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That is, I take that, I mean, 
It's read different, lay, different ways, more than what? These fish, these other disciples? And I think it's best to read it as more than the other disciples do. Do you love me more than the other disciples do? More than these? That's what Peter had said earlier anyway. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That's what he told Jesus. So Jesus is here. You ran to me first out of the boat, but do you really love me more than these other disciples, Peter? His denials had proven before that he didn't really love, the, love Jesus more than the other disciples. The question cuts Peter. It's piercing. And even though Jesus, I mean, and even though Peter confesses his love, Jesus still questions Peter twice more. And with each question, Peter cannot help but be reminded of his threefold denial of Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times Jesus makes him confess his love. And Peter is laid bare before the Lord. Verse 17 says that Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And this is no small grief. The only other place where this grief is, is, is used in, um, to describe a situation in this gospel is when uh, Jesus is crucified. And it's what, the, what Jesus says, the kind of sorrow that the, 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 that the disciples will experience when he is crucified. So this is no little just bummer type. Of, this is heavy, broken grief. Jesus' questioning lays Peter bare. Jesus makes him face the weight of his sin, the weight of his betrayal. He makes Peter face his hypocrisy, but he's not doing it as an end in itself. You see, Jesus makes us face our sins that we might learn to love him more because of what he did to take all of our sins away. Jesus bled and died to take away Peter's sins. And that's all Peter has. Notice that Peter doesn't race to give an account of all the good things he's done to prove his love for Jesus. Three times over, he's casting himself on what Jesus knows of his love. And, last time, and the last time he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's an amazing thing to, to love the one who knows you totally and completely and yet gave his life for you. He knows the, the complexities and, and the depth of your sin and the depth of your cowardice and the depth of your, uh, of your betrayal. And yet he says, I'm giving my life for you. I'm, I'm laying it down for you to take, to take all of it away, to wash you clean. This is Jesus' love for Peter, even though he knows him, and, and it's driving, and, and it's what, it's why Peter loves Christ. It's why we love Christ. And this is all Jesus requires of us, ultimately, most basically, that we love him. How do we know that? Well, because when Peter is casting himself at the feet of the one who knows him, so well, and the one who died for him, when he's casting himself at his feet, saying, I, you know that I love you, 
Jesus each time restores and commissions Peter as a result to take care of his sheep. There are a lot of Christian books on the shelf telling us how to live the Christian life. Many books are very instructive on, on important things like how to read your Bible and how to pray and how to share the gospel with others and show hospitality and, and on and on. In our media age, it seems like every minute somebody else is blogging or tweeting about how we can serve our spouse better, serve our children better, serve our ch- church better, serve our city better, and, and the list could, just could go on and on and on. And without minimizing any of those good exhortations and the practical instructions that come to us through all of these various God-given means, our passage really boils discipleship down to one main thing. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Him? Do you cherish Him? He's not just a priority in your life, but everything to you. I couldn't help but uh, draw the same conclusion when Jonathan led us through Matthew 10 yesterday at the the men's conference. Uh, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Discipleship is was simply a matter of loving Jesus, of cherishing Jesus above all else. Everything else will then come from that. But that love for Jesus uh, takes us to a third truth in our passage. This is something that comes out as a result of our love for Jesus. So our love starts with Christ loving us, We love Jesus in this relationship in return. And when we love Jesus, other things come out. Like loving Jesus means feeding and caring for his people. Loving Jesus means feeding and caring for his people. That becomes clear in Jesus' instructions to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, Peter doesn't feed Jesus' sheep by providing them with miraculous catches of fish. All right, That's not the connection that's going on here. As if Jesus is saying, I fed you with fish, now you go do the same. That's not the connection. Rather, Peter is to feed Jesus' sheep with Jesus' unique self-revelation to the disciples. You see, Jesus isn't merely feeding the disciples a meal. He was feeding them with himself. Feeding them with his self-revelation. Look at verse 1. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Verse 14. This is Now, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you have these two brackets, these bookends, telling you, okay, I'm supposed to understand this miracle as Jesus' self-revelation. This is what he's really feeding them about. I mean, what good are a few fish in the Great Commission if you don't have Christ? Jesus is giving the disciples himself in this story. So Peter isn't to feed 
Jesus' sheep, fish. He is to feed them Jesus. And more specifically, Jesus' self-revelation as all-providing Savior. Where do we access Jesus' self-revelation? Right here in the Spirit-inspired words of the disciples. This idea of feeding Jesus' sheep, the disciples, uh, Peter sort of representing the disciples feeding Jesus' sheep. It fits the theme that's, that's developed earlier in John's Gospel that, that once Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples will bear witness to Jesus' saving works and, and they will bear witness to Jesus' uh, words that tell us what those works are about. They will bear witness to Christ's self-revelation, in other words, God Almighty becoming flesh for our salvation. And by doing so, Jesus' people will be fed. They will be fed with eternal life itself that's found in the person of Jesus. So something we must always remember as a church is that loving Jesus will mean feeding His people with Jesus. It will mean that we nourish one another with Jesus' self-revelation in Scripture. How does that happen? Well, it happens when we preach the crucified and risen Christ to one another from the Scriptures. Now, this is why Christ puts pastors in the church. Their primary responsibility is to feed His sheep with the Word of God. And, and so you get these... I mean, this is why First Timothy 3 says that elders must be competent to teach the Scriptures. The other places, they, the, the teachers shouldn't shift away from the Gospel that, that Paul preached or... or uh, even in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is commending the elders of the Ephesian church, he, he commends them to the word of God's grace. So their primary responsibility is to feed the sheep. And these pastors must feed and care for the sheep in the same way and with the same character of the one who leads us beside still waters. The chief shepherd himself. But the feeding doesn't end there. Those leaders feed the sheep with Jesus' Jesus's word to foster a community of people who do the same for one another. This is why Paul rejoiced over congregations when they were feeding one another with the word. For example, Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And he's talking about everybody in the church at Rome. He's not just talking about the elders. <clears throat> I wonder if such a word could be said over us, that we are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. If not, let's get there together. Let's grow in this together. Let's give, some, give that some attention. Let's, let's partner in grace to, to make it so that all of us are filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
Because loving Jesus will mean feeding and caring for his people. Giving each other Jesus' self-revelation in the word. And the elders have started praying about some of that in our meeting. of How we might lead our body to be competent ministers of Christ. Fourth. Loving Jesus and feeding his people are also costly. Loving Jesus and feeding his people are costly. Look at what uh, Jesus says to Peter in verse 18. Uh, This is just after the third time he tells him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Get that. You will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John tells us what Jesus means. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Twice, two other places in this gospel, that same uh, description, this He said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God is found, but each time it's applied to Jesus to be crucified. Here it's applied to Peter. Now this is simultaneously sobering and sweet. It's sobering because it calls us to love Jesus' sheep at all costs to ourselves. According to Matthew chapter, I mean Matthew, John chapter 10, we get the, the, the passage there where Jesus is the good shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. According to chapter 10, some of those sheep are still lost and must be gathered into the church through the preaching of the gospel. But others of those sheep have already been gathered into Jesus' fold by believing the gospel. And I'm looking at a handful of them right here. But regardless of of whether they're still out there or in here, we've been called to love them and feed them at all costs to ourselves. In other words, when you give yourself over to loving Jesus, and in turn loving Jesus' people, you have given yourself over to dying to see others alive with Christ. You have given yourself over to dying to see others alive with Christ. You don't become a disciple and then choose later to start dying. To see, No, when you become a disciple, you die. Thank you, Jonathan Watson, from Matthew 10 yesterday also. You die. You've chosen to take up the cross to see others alive with Christ, nourished with Christ, filled up to the brim with Christ. If you love Jesus this morning, that's your calling. You have been called to die to see others live. The sheep in particular. And it's not that you've been called to die just so that outsiders live. That's absolutely true in the Great Commission. But you've been called to die so that your already saved brothers and sisters may live in Christ too. That they may prosper in Christ. That's very sobering. Jesus just shed his blood for the sheep. And he's asking us to lay down our lives too in love for the sheep. 
We don't lay them down in the same way that he did, as a substitute, of course. But we certainly lay them down so as to point them to the utter self-sacrifice of our substitute. Every brother and sister in this room become worthy of your utter self-sacrifice and perhaps even death because Jesus bought them with his blood. He paid for them. Dying for the sheep isn't contingent on whether we feel like it. Dying for the sheep is contingent on what Jesus already did for them. He died for them. Does that transform our thinking about each other or what? Every person in this room that you look at who is a brother and sister in Christ is worth the blood of Jesus Christ and therefore worth your life. Worth your utter self-sacrifice. Those sacrifices will look different for different relationships. Those sacrifices will take on their own complexities depending on the persons and the cultures involved. Those sacrifices will even result in various services and activities as Christ gifts each person differently. Even the outcome of that sacrifice will look different. Just like we're going to see next week with Peter and John. Peter's going to be crucified. John's going to keep living for a while longer. That's Jesus' business. So I'm not saying that each of your dying to see others live will look exactly the same. But self-sacrifice for Christ and His people will, in fact, characterize every one of us. We will die to self to see others fed and nourished and built up in Christ. I mean, there, there are ways that... Um, even last night, I can tell you, one of our deacons was dying to some, of, to some things in order that you might be served with the Word this morning. That you might be served with Christ. Uh, Chris and I got called up to the hospital last night to visit with um, one of our brothers. And, and Chris stayed. He said, you go home and get sleep. Like, all right. He, he dying to some of his own sleep that you all might be fed this morning and have somebody not fallen asleep up here. And we will die to see to, to self, to see others fed and nourished and built up in Christ. The question to ask yourself is this: Am I embracing the cost of loving Jesus, or am I looking to escape the cost by avoiding people, by squandering my gifts, by hiding from the oftentimes hard conversations that come with loving people who are different than you? Am I looking for more comfort in this world and more margin for my selfish ambitions? Or am I embracing the cost of loving Jesus? According to Jesus' interaction with Peter, loving Jesus and feeding his people are costly. It will demand our life. I said Jesus' words are sobering, but I also said they are simultaneously sweet. And I want to close here. Which leads me to our fifth truth about loving and feeding Jesus' people at all costs. 
Jesus gives us everything we need to glorify God. Jesus gives us everything we need to glorify God. Look back with me quickly at chapter 13 in John's Gospel. Chapter 13, verse 36. This is uh, right before Jesus um, died, and um, it's his last night with the disciples, and he just finishes telling the disciples that he is, is going away. <clears throat> and so Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers him in verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. He's telling Peter straight up, you lack the ability to bear this cross. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. That's a promise by Jesus. And the afterward he's referring to is his cross and resurrection. Well, he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead. And now what we're seeing in chapter 20 is that Jesus is keeping his promise to Peter. Peter wanted to die for Jesus. But he proved that he couldn't. He really did lack the ability. Now, in chapter 20, Jesus is giving Peter the ability that he lacked beforehand. Jesus is giving Peter the strength to follow him in taking up his cross. You will spread your hands. These words are sweet because they confirm that Jesus is faithful to help us endure the cost of discipleship. even after our greatest moments of failure. He will not leave us or forsake us when we suffer. He will keep us holding on to Him as our ultimate treasure, even if it means our death. And through this kind of provision, our lives end up glorifying God. How do they glorify God? Well, they glorify God By showing others that God is the greatest treasure to possess, not life in this world. We've been through this before as a church. The value of something is measured by what we're willing to give up in order to have it. The value of something is measured by what we're willing to give up in order to have it. For example, consider Jesus' parable of the treasure in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to to buy the field. Where do we see the worth of the treasure in that field displayed? Well, the worth of the treasure is displayed in that the man sells everything he has in order to take possession of it. The same is true for Peter's life here. His life of loving Jesus and feeding the sheep will cost him everything. It will kill him. 
But when it costs him everything, his life puts the value of God in Christ on display for everybody to see. Even his death glorifies God. It reveals to others how worthy God in Christ really is. God displays the worth of Jesus Christ to the watching world and to the community of saints when his people are willing to give up everything to follow him and obey him and give him to others. So the sobering, we're called to serve Jesus and feed Jesus' sheep at all costs. And it may even kill us. That's sobering. The sweet, Jesus gives us everything we need to glorify God when we, do, when we endure the costs of following Jesus. And he will do the same for all of you who believe. All of you. Some of you may wonder how your life could possibly glorify God right now. Some of you wonder how God could even use you after the sins you have committed. After the hurt that you have caused to other people. After the way you have grieved the Holy Spirit once again. And I want to say to all of you, take a good look, good long look at your Savior in this passage. Look at the way he treats Peter. There's a reason Jesus appointed men like Peter, a coward, and appointed men like Paul, a murderer, to be the foundation, to lay the foundation of the church. And it's to show that the unlikeliest of people in the world's mind in the self-righteous person's mind, the, the unlikeliest of people, when touched by the grace of God, can and will bring God glory with their lives. And he will get all the credit. As Paul says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I don't know how you have disappointed God this week or in your life altogether. But when you are united to Christ, when you love Jesus, Jesus comes in and uses your life to display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus will give you everything you need to glorify God with your life. In different ways, he will provide for each of you. But he will still provide it so that you endure, so that his sheep may be fed, and so that God may receive all the glory through his Son. Let's pray together.